You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Well, today we're handing one of these out, and you may have received one of these as you came in, and if you did not get one on your way out, you can receive one of these. This is a vision and culture booklet, and this talks about the direction of what we believe God has for Renovation Church. Now, if you're visiting with us, you may not know, but we actually have another Renovation Church that's in Simpsonville, and the vision and direction that we believe God has given us in this church is outlined very simply in this book. It's a vision and culture booklet. Now, a couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to be back with you guys in Greenville and was able to share with you the direction, the steps, and the vision of our church. And I'm not gonna go over that this morning. So if you have a chance and you're interested in where we're going as a church, I'd encourage you to go on Renovation Church's podcast And if you scan all the way back to March of this last year, there's two messages, one called uh, Growing Small, the other is called Building Big. That's gonna outline our steps for you. Today, I'm gonna kind of focus a little bit on this booklet that we gave you on why this matters to us and why we're handing it out to you. And I'm gonna emphasize and and look at the part of this booklet, which is our culture. And so the title of today's message is simply um, The Heart of Renovation Church. Now, I want to encourage you to, to next Sunday is going to be an awesome day for Greenville. Uh, it's going to be outdoors. We're going to hopefully have an incredible baptism and a service outside. But the Sunday after that, actually, it's two Sundays after that, I think we're going to be starting an Ephesians series. So I invite you to come back to Greenville. Today's a little bit of a different day where we're talking a little bit more of who we are and, and about um, what we believe God, who we believe God has called us to be. So the heart of Renovation Church. So I want to talk about that for a second. When you know who you are, I believe it's a massive thing when you know who you are. Like you have the knowledge of your identity in place. It really impacts the things that you do. A lot of people have the question, well, what am I supposed to do? And when you open scripture, I find a lot of times that what God addresses first, before he tells you what to do, is he talks about, well, who are you? Because who you are influences what you do. It doesn't just influence what you do. It even influences how you do what you do. And I've come to realize that when you believe something deeply, that when you have convictions that are more than just, yeah, I believe it's nice, but when you believe something deeply, it absolutely allows you to live life boldly. And the things that you believe deeply impact how you talk and what you do. For example, you can have a completely reserved individual. Take a normal guy who's pretty, in most situations, pretty reserved. I promise you they have a sports team somewhere they believe deeply in. And on the weekends, they'll rip their shirt off and paint their bodies orange and go, whoa, because the convictions that are placed deeper in their hearts. And so who almost always impacts what? It's the heart of the issue. And that's what we want to talk about today. What's the heart of the issue? I remember a couple of years ago, I have three kids. And a couple of years ago, before our third was born, we were on vacation, my wife and I and my mother-in-law and our two kids, at that point, two kids. And we were out of town. I think we were in Williamsburg area. And we went to a playground so the kids could get some wiggles out. All parents of young kids know what I'm talking about. You gotta get the wiggles out. If not, Lord have mercy. So went to a playground and they're running around and playing. It's a new playground. They hadn't been to it before. And my son at that moment was probably three years old, was over in this area. And you know, the playground had mulch and stuff like that. And he kind of got this other little kid to play with them and they're playing together. And then we noticed this other kid started to push my son around a little bit and like kind of bully him a little bit. And then the other little kid I'm watching took some mulch and just started pouring it over my son's head. 
And my wife's like, look at what this other kid's doing to our son. And before me, as the dad can get up and, 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 and react, I'm like, first I'm like scanning, like, where's the mom? Where's the dad? Like, who's watching this kid to see what they're doing? And uh, so I look for a little bit. And before I get up to do anything, his older sister from across the playground had, had watched with her own eyes what was happening and yelled out, hey, kid, that's my brother. And he's like mid-mulch pouring. He's like, like this. And hit my son's older sister just said, stop doing that to my brother or I'm gonna come over there. And he just stopped and then walked away. <laughs> and she's like, that's, I'm his sister. You see, it's intrinsic in us that when we know who we are, when we, I, when we know who we are, it impacts what we do. And as a pastor, people, well, what, what does God want me to do? Well, the really question is, who, God, who does God want you to be? Who impacts what? And so when you think about Renovation Church, and maybe, maybe you're visiting, but maybe this is your church, and you're asking the question, well, what, who are we called to be? What is the heartbeat of Renovation Church? That's, what, that, that's the, the nuts and bolts, because who always impacts what? So let me share with you this statement, ready? Something that I believe and we believe deeply at Renovation Church. This is a heart statement. I believe to the core of my soul that you are the church. That's what I believe. And in the world that we live in, the language that we use when it comes to churches, we say, I'm gonna go to church. That's a very natural, normal thing. Well, I'm gonna go to church. That's what I wanna do. And this is the church that I go to. And the language that we use the reason why I want us to think differently about it is because the Bible is very clear. You, you don't go to church, you actually are the church. And by going to church, and of course that's normal and an easy way to say it, and it makes sense, I understand it, but it's allowed us to think of church as something that we attend and then we can go about living our lives. So I'm gonna go to church, but then I'm gonna go back into my life and do whatever God's asked me, or live however I think is best to live. And what I wanna do is I want us to change how we think. You don't go to church, but you are the church. And by thinking differently about it, it changes everything. Because let me, let me put it to this way. We know that the building is not the church. But somehow along the way, we've come to believe that Sunday morning service is the church. That this moment right here, that this is the church. That the service is a church. And you know what? The service matters we wanna have incredible worship. We wanna have a message that's engaging. We wanna love and care for our kids. But guess what? This service is not church. You are the church. And by thinking that the service is a church, we can come, we can attend, and do you know what it's created? It's created a bunch of Christians who are spectators, who spectate at a distance. But if we go to think of church as something so much more than just go to it, then all of a sudden, if I am the church, if that's who I am, that I am the church, that means that you have a part to play. That means that how you're wired matters. That means that God wants to call you away from spectating and into it. And it, when COVID-19 hit the whole world and everything shut down and lots of people left church and many of them still haven't come back. In fact, the phrase they use for that is the great de-churching. Do you know why they haven't come back? Because they were just watching. And all of a sudden, they're like, man, I like having Sunday mornings. It's, Sunday mornings are nice. But when you are the church, when you have a role to play that somehow your story is weaved into God's story, that, and, and here's the thing with the church, ready? There's no plan B. There's zero plan B. It's the church. And the way the Bible refers to the church is the bride of Christ. 
It's not a collection of institutions or church services. The church is you, you. You know, there's two things that I know almost everybody cares about. Ready? And I know you do too. You care about, you want to know why you're here. Why am I on this planet? And then we want to know, why am I going through some of the things that I'm going through? And how will my pain, the things that I've experienced, impact the purpose that I have? You care deeply about why. The other thing you care about is, where do I fit? What community of people do I have around me? Who do I, who, who do, I do life with? These two things. Does anybody care that I live? Why I'm here? And what I do? And who I'm with? These things are intrinsic, deep in all of us. And yet the Bible says that we are the church. And do you know what that does when we begin to think that way? I don't go to church, I am the church. And this may not be your church, but guess what? Whatever church that you participate, whatever community of other people that you belong to, you don't go to church anymore, but you are the church. I believe this to the core of my soul. And by the way, I, I grew up in church. My parents were missionaries. That's like super Christian right there. I went to church in all kinds of different languages. I'm dead serious. When I was born, in fact, when I, in 2009, I got a chance to go back to the country I was born. I was born in Cochabamba, Bolivia, spelled like it sound. And my parents worked with deaf individuals in Bolivia. Bolivia is a Spanish-speaking country, but in Bolivia, they also have native Indian population called the Quechua Indians, who are descendants of the Incas. And then they, my parents worked with deaf people. So I grew up speaking four languages. And my dad has all kinds of stories about how do you do worship in a deaf church? And I was like, that would have been great for me because I have a horrible voice. You just sign it. And he's like, it's a beautiful experience. But here's what I learned in all different church environments, ready? We have to think differently about what it is. It's not a place you go, it's you. You become the church. And when you become the church, that means that God moves you out of the stands from spectating and into what he is doing in the world around you. This is massively important for us at Renovation Church. So, so here's a question. What makes us the church? What makes us the church? Well, this is what makes us the church. A conviction that Jesus is our personal Savior and Lord. This is what makes someone. When you make a declaration and you believe. Now, I don't know your story. A lot of you, I don't even know your names. And you don't know my story. And that's okay. But I'm willing to bet somewhere in your life, somewhere, Jesus went from being an idea to becoming something that changed who you are and how you live. And some of you can remember the moment when that happened. I was sitting with someone who was like, I don't understand all the things, but he goes, I remember when I invited Jesus into my life and something that I can't explain changed me right then and there. And some of you have testimonies like that. So somewhere in your journey, what we share in common today is not our personality traits, not where we were raised or what we've experienced. What we have in common is one thing, that we encounter Jesus. And somewhere we said, I believe in him. And then that changed and should change our life. And I've lived in a lot of places, and here's what I've seen about Jesus, ready? All kinds of people are transformed by him. I, I remember... My wife and I were serving as missionaries in Nicaragua and, and we did a ministry that reached out to kids and to teenagers and we had young people come to our ministry all the time and we would encounter heartbreaking situations and we encountered a young woman who was 21 at the time. Her name was Jessica and she started coming to our ministry and we got to know Jessica and Jessica was responsible for all of her younger brothers and sisters and we realized that Jessica it was such an impoverished situation that she was responsible for making sure that they had a place to sleep every night, that her, 
her housing situation was, first of all, a one-room, dirt-floor place in a very broken neighborhood. And that Jessica, this, to give you an idea, didn't rent by the week or by the month. She lived by renting for the night. And if she didn't get the money for the day, then she wouldn't know she could sleep in that place at night. And she became responsible for her younger brothers and sisters. And she started coming to church and we started telling her about Jesus. And she was so intrigued by who he is. And then we realized how, how, her, how her situation was. And so we offered her this part-time job and she started working in the ministry. And then as she started working, we realized no one ever taught her how to read or write. It's a 21-year-old woman who's hearing about Jesus and can't read the word because she doesn't know how to read. And so we sat alongside of her and began teaching her how to read and write. And as she began to read, she could open up God's word and she could read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. And you could watch this young woman engage with Jesus. And I was there when I watched her get baptized and the direction of her life changed. This last January, I got a chance to be in Saudi Arabia. I never thought I'd ever go to Saudi Arabia, I'll be honest with you. And I'm finding myself in Saudi Arabia in January and I'm in the northwestern part of the country in a town called Tabuk. It's not a big tourist town. And we're there, we're staying at some place. And one of the young men who worked in this place we were staying at, he was a little, he, he was just, you could tell there was something different about him. And he came to realize that we were pastors. Now, Saudi Arabia is a strictly Muslim country. And so he found out we were pastors and then in one of the taxi rides, he said, I want you to know I am a Christian also. And this is not something you can do publicly in Saudi Arabia, but he found out we were and so he started talking and we found his story. He was a Pakistani man, one of the first in his family to receive Jesus and left home to go work in Saudi Arabia because he wanted to get enough money to go to Israel to stand where Jesus stood. That's how much Jesus meant to him. And he had no community of other followers of Jesus because you can't just go to church. You can't just participate in worship with others in Saudi Arabia. And so he'd open up the Bible. And, 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 and so he, he just, and he was this amazing young man. And I got a chance, we got a chance to baptize him before we left. And I'm like, wow, a Pakistani man, young man who was working his way to go to Israel to stand where Jesus was. And a young woman who was 21, now she's older, who learned learning to read and write so that she can read the word and she can love her family all because of Jesus. And it's not just the people who, in those situations, there's a, someone in our church, a, a, guy, a guy who's an amazing, just an incredible individual who God has blessed his business beyond his wildest dreams. Like God has blessed this guy's business and it has been incredible. Even he's like, I don't know why my business is growing so much. And at the beginning of this year, when he started the year out, you know what he said? He said, how can I give some of my money away? And he started 2023 by writing massive checks to ministries. And you know why he did that? Because of Jesus. A Nicaraguan woman, a Pakistani man, a guy from right here in good old South Carolina, man all doing and living differently because of Jesus. And here's the thing with Jesus. Let me just give you some thoughts, ready? Here's the thing with him. He invites everybody. Everyone's invited. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everyone is invited. He wishes that no one would perish. But let me tell you something else about Jesus. Not only does he invite everybody, he also challenges everybody to live differently. Now here's the, diff here's the rub. 
There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus. And we're in the South. Everybody's a Christian in the South. Like you're, if you're in the South, it's like you instantly have a ticket interest into heaven. That's how we think. There's sweet tea and we're Christians. But the truth is, is that a lot of it is just people who are traditions. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking because believing in something doesn't mean that you have enough of a conviction for it to actually impact your life. And let me take it different. Here's the real, here's the real thing, ready? Jesus loves us where we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He came to show us how to live life different. In fact, when he was here, he, he said the two greatest commands, ready, are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor. And all of the law and prophets are summed up in those two things. If you want to live a really good life, love God and love people. So think differently about that. Here's your question that I've asked. What do you think the opposite of love is? Like literally, what's the antonym or what's the opposite of love? Some people might say, well, hate. Because if you don't love something, then you must hate something. Actively want to be against it. I don't believe that that's the opposite of love. Well, is the opposite of love maybe then indifference? Where we're like, yeah, it doesn't matter whatever happens. Hakuna Matata, it means no worries for the rest of your days. Ah, whatever. Is that what love is? What I believe the opposite of love is, is actually selfishness. Because when you are selfish, and when you make yourself the center of everything, you can't see outside of yourself. And Jesus comes and he says this, ready? Love God, and then he says this, those who are willing to live selfless lives will actually find life. And it's so the opposite of the world. It's so different. He goes, if you want to be the, if you want to be the first, then be last. What does that mean? Give your life away. It's, it's, it's like you have to think differently. Everything gets put on its head. So I've come to believe that the opposite of love is actually selfishness. And you have this challenge from Jesus who loves us where we are, but then he looks at you. If you are the church and says, I have a different way for you to live, a different way for you to navigate your family, a different way for you to navigate your job, a different way for you to be a father or mother or husband or wife, a different way for handling your finances. There is not a single thing that Jesus wants to interact in your life with that's like the world. He's just different and he's so much more. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take you to two separate scenes. Imagine these as scenes from a movie. You're gonna get the beginning scene and the end scene of one of my favorite disciples. His name is Peter. And the reason I love Peter is, and this is why I love the Bible, by the way, because whenever it shows you the men and women who followed Jesus, it doesn't just show you all the things that they did awesome. It shows you all the ways in which they jacked stuff up royally. And I love Peter because he was captain shove his foot in his mouth, which I relate with. I am the greatest shove foot and mouth person ever. And so when I read Peter, I'm like, it gives me hope. If you can use Peter, then maybe God, you can use me. So two scenes from Peter's life, and I want you to see. The first one comes from Luke chapter five. It's when Peter first follows Jesus. In verse four from the NIV, God's word says this. When you finish speaking, this is Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said, I can imagine he says it this way, but because you said so, like you don't really know what you're talking about. I will let down the nets. It's kind of a waste of time. By the way, this year, um, I got my son, he turned 10. I got him a fishing pole. And then I took him and his younger brother, who's now five, it was fourth time fishing this year. 
I will never take another four-year-old fishing ever again. <laughs> that was the worst experience. If you pray for patience, you'll find yourself fishing with a four-year-old kid. And I have like giant sausage fingers that cannot do the delicate fishing line. Okay, anyway, it's this whole separate thing. You didn't need to know all that stuff. Peter's like, fine, Jesus, okay, I'll do it. And so let's keep reading. Verse six. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Do you see this? He's telling them who he is. This is who you are. You are no longer a fisherman for fish. You are gonna fish for people. That's who I'm gonna make you to be. That's who you are. And then it says this. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and followed him. That's scene one of Peter's life. So what does Peter do? He follows after Jesus. And in following Jesus, his eyes see things that he never thought possible. He sees water being turned into wine. He sees those who have leprosy be healed and become cleansed. He sees those who have been lame since birth walk. He's seen people that have died come back to life. He's seen Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed an entire thousands of people. Like it's the golden corral, like buffet style. By the way, there's a friend of ours that, that thought it was a seafood restaurant because they called it the golden coral and now I can't go by golden corral. Because I'm like, oh, there's the, there's the seafood, the golden coral. Anyway, which doesn't sound appetizing even a little bit, by the way, I'll say that right now. Peter's witnessed all of these things. And Peter's like blown away. And then he hears Jesus teaching where Jesus is like, hey, Peter, stop trying to be first, but be last. Hey, do you wanna have life? Give it away. Hey, how often do you forgive? 70 times seven? That's a way too big of a math problem to figure out. Wait, wait a second. You mean I have to love my enemies? Even those who persecute me? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. And Jesus was opposite. And actually, he offended the religious leaders of the day. He would talk with a Samaritan woman at the well. And Peter's watching all of these things and still, still Peter is hoping that Jesus is gonna remove the Romans and establish Israel as a power and rule. And so he's following Jesus, but he still has his own expectations of who he thinks Jesus should be and what Jesus should do. And Jesus is like, listen, I'm gonna go away for a while. Peter's like, no. In fact, Peter has an incredible moment where Jesus says, who do you guys think I am? And Peter stands up and he's like, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's an incredible moment in Matthew 16. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not given to you by men, but by my father in heaven. And then he changes his name. And now you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Yeah. So Peter has highs and lows. And then right after that, you know what happens? Jesus says, I'm gonna go away. You keep reading. And then you know what Jesus says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, which you might have used for other people in your life. Get behind me, Satan. I say that to the calories and donuts and believe for God to heal those. But here, so when Peter's experienced all this stuff, but then the opposite of what Peter hopes would happen, Jesus is arrested and Jesus is, is taken to court and he's paraded in town 
and his followers who Peter declared he would never abandon Jesus. In fact, he said he would never do that. Peter himself finds himself denying Jesus three times. I got a chance to go to Israel in 2018 and I had the privilege of being in Caiaphas' house, which they found, which is one of the places where, where they kept Jesus. And I can just imagine, there's, there's a passage of scripture that says this, after Jesus' arrest, it says that Peter followed them at a distance. And I imagine Jesus being put on trial where he's being accused and mocked and ridiculed and Peter is at a distance. And in Caiaphas' house, it was this just dungeon-like environment. I can just imagine Peter's heart being just broken. And he left everything to follow Jesus. And so that's, that, that's the journey that Peter's on. And then we get to scene two, which scene two is after the resurrection of Jesus. And you have to know this, after Jesus died, all of their hopes were gone. What does Peter do? Peter goes back to the thing that he did before Jesus. Peter goes back to fishing. That's what Peter does. And maybe you've never seen this in scripture, but I think it's beautiful. He goes back to fishing, and then in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus comes back to Peter again. Ready? This is verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> then the disciples whom Jesus loved, oh, excuse me, oh, and when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of such a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which by the way, this is a side note. This is John writing this about himself. He doesn't give him his name. He's like, yeah, this is John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I just think it's awesome. It's also like in the Old Testament where Moses is like the most humble man who lived. Like, just anyway, I, I love, right, anyway, I move on. All right. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and he found Jesus there. Scene one, Peter's fishing, and Jesus says, throw the nets in, and he realizes that Jesus is Savior. Scene two, he's fishing. He's discouraged. He's tired. He wonders if his past three years have been a waste of time, and he's fishing. And then Jesus is on shore. And if you keep reading John 21, you know what Jesus does? He goes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And you read again, then Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he's even offended that Jesus asked a third time. I love Jesus. He doesn't do anything without a reason behind it. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How much of a failure do you think Peter was? How much of a failure do you think he thought of himself as? Jesus goes back and, and, and Peter, you may feel like you're a failure, but you don't know what the future holds. And so there's two scenes. One's the beginning and one's this moment before Jesus ascends into heaven where he goes back into Peter's life. And here's the thing. The scenes are similar, but you know what's different? Peter's different. 
He's not the same Peter in scene two that he was in scene one. Because those three years with Jesus changed how he thought of himself, changed how he viewed the world, changed how he interacted in crowds, changed how he treats people. And then what you realize is when you open the book of Acts, do you know what you see? A very different Peter than you see in the Gospels. Now all of a sudden, not only is he not denying Jesus and afraid, you know what he's doing? He's standing in the courts and he's declaring, there is one way to God, his name is Jesus, and he is the son. And he's the first one who preaches a message in which thousands come to join the church. This is Peter. And then when God wants the Gentiles to become know him, do you know who God goes to? He goes to Peter. And Peter has a vision. And Peter's different. And this this person, Jesus is the same. He's resurrected, but he's the same. Who's different is Peter. And this journey of what church is, I believe to the core of my soul that you are the church. You, you're the church. And how you view following Jesus and how it impacts the way you think and how you live matters to God. And that you would not be a spectator anymore, looking at a distance and just going to church. You would see yourself as the church that God, listen, because some of you may not be able to sing. That's not my gifting. I can't sing. I can dance really well, though. It's beautiful. I have a gift there. I grew up in Latin America, and the Latinos, when they dance, they, they have like the whole hip thing. One of my most embarrassing stories in my life was being invited to a birthday party of a, and they, like Latin America, they'll have parties for kids even young and their dance parties. Like, so I was like eight years old and I got invited to like a dance party. It's all a family thing. I didn't know I couldn't dance and there's a girl that I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Why am I telling you this? Anyway, there's a girl that I liked and so they, everyone knew I liked her so they made me dance with her. So in front of all the kids, I'm like dancing and then I learned I couldn't dance after that moment. It's the most embarrassing moment of my life. And so I have no, why did I even tell you that story? I'm so ADD. Okay, I literally, some of, yeah, that's, what, that's why. Because some of you, you may not be able to sing, you may not, have the, you may not be able to, to you, maybe you can dance, that's awesome. But you know what you are? You're an encourager. Some of you are really good at hospitality. That when someone comes to your environment, you, you do an amazing job of welcoming them into it. Some of you are like super administrative. Like you love the details. You wake up and it's like, man, details are my friend. I don't live in that world. I stress you out, you stress me out. My point is, is this, when you read the Bible, do you know what it says the body is? It says, the, it's, it's us. It's, it's us. And when you, when you wanna know why you're here, because you were meant to be part of this journey that God is doing. You're the body, you're the church. You have a part to play. And you get a chance to surround yourself with other people who are running towards Jesus in the same way. And we all have different elements and pieces of it. And what ties us together is the lessons that we've learned from Jesus himself. And so this booklet that you have right here, and I cannot express this enough, the things that we believe, who we are, this is not just nice little phrases in a really nicely printed book. These are lessons that we have learned at Renovation Church that I have learned, that we have learned, painfully so, that helps shape who we are as a church. These are big deals to us. And so I'm not gonna go over all of these, but as you take it with you, I want you to know the weight of what this means. This impacts how we go into, do the things that we do. So when you open up the pages, and I'm gonna actually look at page 13, and if you have it, you can look there. 
one of the very first things that we believe who we are. Do you know who we are? We are Jesus followers first. That's who we are. In other words, the thing that, that ties all of us together is that we love Jesus more than we love anyone or anything else, that we wanna pursue Jesus and spend time with Jesus, that we believe that Jesus still saves, that he's not done working, and that he is good, and that he sits on a throne that cannot be shaken or moved, that Jesus is everything, and that somehow in our journey we found him, and he is the most important one in our life. You know that Jesus said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then he says, if you seek God's kingdom first, then all of these other things are gonna be added to you. Let me help you, I wanna, you know, think about this today. When you spend time with God first, you know what happens? The more you seek Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. And do you know what happens? You become better at every other area of your life. When you seek Jesus, you'll become a better husband and wife. When you seek Jesus, you're gonna become a better father or mother. When you seek Jesus, you're gonna be a better employee. When you seek Jesus, it changes you who you are. And you know what happens? All these other things that you care about simply get better because you put Jesus first. We do a list of what are the most important things. And of course, when we do that list, God is first. Because if he's not first, you think a lightning bolt's gonna strike you. Of course, God's first. And then, if God's first, then we say family second. And then like whatever it is, your list of most important things. Can we be deadly honest for a moment? Of our list of who's most important, you know, what, you know who it usually is who's most important? We are most important. And yet by making us be Jesus followers first, you know what it is? It's saying, wait a second, there is someone who is so much more. It's Jesus. It's him first. Look, look, look at this other one. We embrace the lowest place. That's the next page. I grew up in church. And do you know what I hate when it happens in church? is when people fight about who's the most important one, which can happen sometimes in church. Who gets the most stage time? Who's the most this or that? Do you know what I see when I see Jesus? He walked a path of humility. Philippians says it this way. He did not consider it, he didn't need to be equal with God, and yet he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Jesus embraced the lowest place. And you know what we wanna do at Renovation Church? We wanna be people, men and women, who say, you know what? It's not about who the most important one is. It's, it's, it's the fact that we can be servants and lift others up. Here's another thing. Our character's consistent. We believe this, that who you are offstage or who you are behind the scenes when no one's looking matters to God and it matters to us. And that you can have fun and be authentic, that you can laugh and find joy. Here's another one. We believe that Jesus taught us to be generous, that giving is simply a better way to live. Putting yourself in a place to give is simply better. Here's another one, have faith for the impossible. Jesus said if you could have the faith of a mustard seed, oh, it could change everything. So I'm almost done and I'm gonna end it with this. Here's a simple point of what I want you to see, ready? We are God's masterpiece. You are the church. And the Bible says in Ephesians, that's actually gonna be our next series that we do as a church, so I don't wanna take too much thunder from that. It says in Ephesians 2 that we are God's masterpiece. If you read in other translations, it'll say workmanship or handiworks. We are, we're the ones that God made. Now, in original creation, in Genesis, it says that God spoke things into existence. Let there be light. And he made creation day by day, and he ordered everything in its, in its order the way that he did. And he did all of these things, and I bet original creation must have been absolutely breathtaking to behold. And when we get to heaven, I hope there's a YouTube in heaven that can look back and watch those scenes play out, because that would be awesome. Like, that would be incredible to watch the creation happen. And we, we might think that original creation was God's greatest masterpiece. But I believe 
that God's greatest masterpiece is taking sinners and turning them into saints. Taking sinners, not just original creation, taking the broken and the lost and those who have shame and guilt and those who feel like they're not enough. You know what he does? He looks at them and says, I have a plan for you. You're not done. You can turn around. I want, you can end better than how you started. And when God does that in someone's life, you know what it says? We, his church, are his masterpiece. No plan B, us, to be a voice to where he sends us. When I was a kid, I was, I don't know, a kid kid, like six, seven years old, we were living in the country of Peru in South America and there was this big outdoor, like massive outreach. And the outreach centered around a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade, a movie made in the 70s, like way back in the day. And the cross of the switchblade is a true story of a lot of people, but really two main characters. There's a pastor, his name is David Wilkerson, who went into New York City, who was there to try and reach out to the gangs in New York City. And the other person was a guy named Nicky Cruz. And Nicky Cruz was a gang member in New York City. And David Wilk and, and Nicky Cruz is a rough dude. And in the movie, it shows how rough Nicky Cruz is. And Nicky Cruz like did all kinds of stuff that would, I mean, he just was a rough, rough dude. And he hated this pastor guy who was coming into his territory. And in fact, he hated him so much that he threatened him all the time. One time he said, pastor, listen, I'm gonna cut you into a thousand pieces. And the pastor was like, you can cut me into a thousand pieces, but every one of these pieces would still love you. And what do you do with that? So Nikki started going to, with, his, with the gang to this guy's church to threaten him. Like, get out of this place. And the more that he went to church, the more he began hearing about Jesus. And then Nicky Cruz gave his life to Christ. And the impact in his life was immediate. And Nicky's life was transformed from the inside out. And when I was a kid, that movie was being played in Peru and Nicky Cruz himself was there and he gave a testimony how God turned him from being a gang member to someone who loved people. Now, as a kid, I watched the scenes where Nicky Cruz is like knifing people and stuff. So I'm like, this dude's gang like literally gangster. I'm scared of him. And I'll remember meeting Nicky Cruz. And he held me as a kid. And he just, he, he said, God, God has a plan for your life. Just like he has a plan for my life. Learn to follow him. He will be with you. And so this Jesus, who changed Nicky Cruz's life, who's changed my life, who somewhere has changed your life, invites you to be part of the church. I'm gonna end with this verse, ready? This is Peter. This is Peter in 1 Peter, the same Peter who denied Jesus, the same Peter who came back to follow Jesus. Look at what Peter says, ready? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is a Peter who finished better than he started. This is awesome. And this is our hope and prayer for you. This vision and culture booklet is who we believe God has called us to be. And if we can do this and do this well, I believe these lessons will be things where other people will come to know Christ also. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pause on our Sunday, we give you praise and we thank you. Because you are a God who is transformative, who doesn't give up on us and who is kind but you also, God, don't want us to stay where we are. And in fact, you're calling us into more, to live for more, to not live selfish lives, but to live Christ-centered, selfless lives where we get a chance to experience 
the depth of what it means to love you and to love others, of why we were created to begin with, and that we can do that in the context of being the church, not just going to church, but being the church. And so Jesus, help us to think differently. Help us to, Lord, embrace the things that you taught. Help us to learn to live in the way that you asked us to live, that we might be the church. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing and who you are and for the culture that you want us to have, a culture, hopefully, Lord, that does honor you and brings glory to your name. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.